so much. Thanks, God. In the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 13, Jesus, Jesus is and he's sharing a number of parables and a number of stories with really one purpose. Uh, and this one in particular one, I know I've heard so many times, but it landed on me this week, and I was like, that's it. That's the starting point for discipleship. And it's kind of where we started last week, and, and I do want to re-hit some things we hit last week, because I think a few of you walked out of here, man, it's been echoing. Wow. Walked out of here questioning maybe your salvation. You're like, mate, am I, do I know the Lord? And I, I told you that wasn't the goal. I think every once in a while we need to time out. Know and really ask some hard questions. Are we following Jesus? I know we want to follow Jesus. I know we know the right answer. I, I need to be with the Lord. I need to read the Bible. I need to pray. I want to go to heaven. I know we know those those are good things to want. But are we following Jesus? So in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus shares this story, this parable. He says, The kingdom of heaven. Sorry, I didn't tell you where to go. 44. Are you there? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Now he's going to tell similar stories, Jesus is, over and over and over again. Uh, about finding a pearl, about finding things that are of great value. So you have a man who is looking for in a field for some reason. He's in a random field, digging around in the dirt. And all of a sudden, he finds a treasure that is worth more than everything he has. So he's like, I'm going to buy this field. So he covers the thing up, and then he goes and he promptly sells all that he has. You have to think, if you actually live this out, you go to sell everything you have, and your friends are like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? I'm going to buy that field. That field? Yeah, I, I just have a hunch. I just have this, this feeling that something good's going to happen, and I, and I have to sell everything I have. I have to give everything I have so I can get this field. And when the man does, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus says. This is how you get in. This is what it's worth. This is the response we should have. This is the door to discipleship. We talked about that last week. And so to follow Jesus is to hold loosely to the things of the world. Do you know that? Now, there's a form of Christianity that says, yeah, hold tightly to Jesus, but then hold tightly, really tightly to the things of the world, like a good, like safe family and a nice house with a picket fence. And Jesus just said, no, sell it all. So we hold loosely to comfort, careers, possessions, like positions, family even, safety, ourselves. And I feel like we have to be reminded of that constantly. Because if you pick up the call I'm going to give you today to go make disciples, it will cost you. It will cost you all of those things. It will cost you time. It will cost you your dignity at times. It will cost you your comfort possibly your career, and your possessions, but Jesus is worth it. And so as we look at this, like we cling tightly to the person of Jesus Christ and the reality of his kingdom. Jesus shows up and he's like, the kingdom is here. Like the kingdom is here. Repent and believe and walk and follow me. 
And I know some of you are like, well, this just sounds extreme. I didn't come here today and told you, tell, give me everything. Well, if you realize, this is the, the, the linchpin of this whole thing, to leave behind you, to lay behind your possessions, to sell everything, to buy the field, to get the treasure, really doesn't make any sense until you realize who Jesus is. Until you realize the overarching, overwhelming, unparalleled wealth that Jesus has and is. And so, brothers and sisters, we have found in this king, in this Jesus, someone who is worth losing everything for. Did you hear me? We have found in Jesus someone who's worth losing everything for. And I believe that is the critical inch, is what some people would call it. That's the, the critical point for most of us. Because let's I'll give you a scenario. Let's say you spend, you have you spend the rest of the next week of your life. You introduce one person to Jesus and you teach them how to read the word, how to talk to Jesus and how to sell everything to follow him. But then you die at the end of the week. Is your life a waste? Is your life a waste? No. No, right? Now some of you, you're like, yeah! Should have gone to Cabo for that week. But that's a very low-minded view of eternity and heaven realities. So if heaven is real, oh, and it is. And Jesus is the king, and he is, and he's good and holy and pure, and he saved you, and you get to lead one person to him. Then that's a willing sacrifice that I will make for the rest of my life. It's not a waste. It's not a waste. So, I mean, the Bible paints this picture that if one person comes to Christ, you know what heaven's doing? That. I mean, what that was. No, no, in my life. They're like, Wow! That's what they're doing. What are we spending our lives on? What are you spending your days fritting about? And if it's nothing but the, like, the treasure that is Jesus, nothing else compares. Go sell everything and follow him. You'd be like, what if I waste my life? You can't waste your life on him. You can't. He's worth following. He's worth knowing. He's worth running after. He's worth seeing. He's worth everything. And I know you're like, oh, here's Andrew all hopped up on Jesus again. Jesus is it. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the Father's message. Jesus is like the point of salvation. Jesus is the person you will see when you die and close your eyes. You'll open them to him. Give him the next 80 years of your life because you're going to spend the rest of eternity with him. And I know you're I know, I feel it. And here's the thing, I know, and I, we said this last week, discipleship scares the pants off of us. Put your pants back, pants back on. Let's get in the way. I do want to do this, though. Because last week I did want to, how would you know if you're saved? How would you know if you're a disciple? And I thought before I added more weight onto you, I, I thought I'd want to clear that up for some of you. And so I'm going to do like a probably a simplified answer, and then I'll, I'll give you a more complex like teaching answer. So, the simple answer actually starts with my relationship with my wife, Anne. So, when I was pursuing her, uh, we were in high school, actually, uh, and we would do stupid stuff like go to drive-in movies together, uh, but we wouldn't call it a date because we took our Bibles and we prayed in between the intermission. So, then it was like, not a date. <laughs> um, 
And then she went off to Indiana University, and I went up to Chicago to the Bible Institute, and we would write all those lovey-dovey letters, and then, I mean, just at the, at the drop of a hat, I would drive five to six hours down to Bloomington, Indiana, to just spend two hours with her in the dining hall, and then drive right back up throughout the night. Like, at the drop of a hat, it didn't matter what was going on. If I had a 10-hour stretch, I wanted to see her. I just wanted to smell her. I wanted to be around her. I wanted to hold her hand. I wanted to know what she was about. I wanted to know what made her happy. I didn't want to talk to her on the phone. I just wanted to be with Anna. Now, if you've ever been in love or thought you were in love, you know that feeling, right? And so if I, I actually found some letters and things that I used to write, an old journal to Anna that made me want to, like, bark a little bit. Because it was just, we never used the word love in the beginning. You know where that stage was really awkward where you're like, I like it. I like you too. And you know you're really saying love, but you're not. Found one of those. I was going to read it, but I'm not. So really, there's four overarching things when when you're in love, right? When when you know somebody and you just want to be around them, what I noticed is that there was like, there was an adoration. Like I just adored everything about Anna, even when she was, I was going to say dumb, but even when when we butted heads, I was like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, there was an adoration, there was an affection for Anna. And, and so even when I was up in Moody, Moody is called Moody Bridal Institute, if you know that. So if you, if you go there, the expectation is in the first year you're going to be engaged, and by the second year you're going to be married, and then by the third year you're going to have kids, and then you're just carrying five kids, uh, and then you're graduating. I don't even know how it happens, but it does. So there, even when there was girls up there to be like, hey, you want to go down to the dining hall? I'd be like, my affections are over here, <laughs> right? So there was an affection for Anna that pushed out every other affection. So there was an adoration of Anna. Everything she did, everything she was about, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I had an affection for her, and then I had that longing for her. I wanted to be around her. And I would drop, I would drop, I would lose school or sleep so I could be around her. Now, ultimately, even when we were doing the dumb, like, I like you stage, ultimately, you know, the underarching thing between me and Anna? We loved each other. Love. So now apply that to your life with Jesus. Do these things, affection, adoration, longing, and love. Is there a love for Jesus in you? Because if you're like, yes, I love him, I long for him, I have an affection for him, I adore him, I love his words, I love his spirit, I love talking to him. I love being caught up in worship to him, then I can 100%, almost 100% say, yes, you have met this man, Jesus. The Spirit of God lives in you, and you are saved by the blood of the Lamb. Because those affections in the spiritual realm don't come from dead spiritual men. Those affections come from the Father's heart, from the Spirit poured out in us, and the love of God made manifest. So if you have affection for God and Jesus, welcome If you don't, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying, why don't you? Because here's what I've learned. Believe it or not, Jesus isn't a doctrine or an idea. He's a person. Did you hear me? Jesus Christ is not a doctrine. He's a person. It means you can leave him. It means you can talk to him. It means you can wake up in the morning and First words out of your mouth, Lord, I love you. Thanks that I get to walk with you. And in the middle of your day, you could hear this little whisper almost, which would be his spirit in you saying, hey, why don't you go tell that person how much I love them 
Because I showed you this morning when you were talking to me how much I loved you, not before y'all met. This is what we're caught up in. We're caught up in a love relationship with the God of heaven and earth through the Son, Jesus Christ, who gave us his spirit to heal in us. Do you have it? Do you have that? And if you're like, I think I do, you know. Everybody, I think everybody in my life, when I was in love with Anna, when I liked Anna a lot, wanted to hit me. Because my whole life revolved around Anna. I wonder what Anna's doing. Oh, I love, I mean, look what she smells like. I want to be with Anna. Like, it was just dumb. You'd want to be like, stop it, man, right? Do you talk about Jesus like that? You should. If we can know him, and the Bible says you can know this living God, that he has made himself known, knowable, he has given a way for us to come into the holy places by the blood of the Lamb, like we get to come in and be known and know. Not kind of know, no, not, no, not, oh, I hope I make it, but no. It's called assurance. And so assurance of your faith or assurance of your salvation rests in a few things, but the first three don't have anything to do with you, which should give you a great life. Assurance rests on God's character, number one, who God is. So the God of heaven and earth looks at you and says, you're mine. What's going to make you not yours? Nothing. Right? So when we look at assurance, like 2 Timothy says, I know whom I believe, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This is Paul talking. So Paul's assurance, Paul's weight of belief was in, I know who God is. And God is good. And God is faithful. And I know that he will hold me. He will hold me till that day. What's that day? The day that Jesus rips open the heavens, comes back, and takes his own. That day. That's the day he's talking about. And so Paul's assurance rested in the character of God. God is good. God is holy. God is just. God is everything we need. And he who called us is faithful. Assurance also rests on God's promises. And here's what Jack No, God's character, the way that he is, what makes him, his fabric of his being, is tied to his promises. So when God says, I'm going to love you with an everlasting love, that's tied to his character because God is love. Those things tie together. So when God says a thing, it's done. And I don't have time to go through all these, but maybe go through them for a moment and read them slowly if you're doubting. Uh, Acts 16, 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's a promise. You will be that's certifiably if you do this thing. If you believe in Jesus, put the weight of your faith in Jesus, you will be saved. You will have salvation. You will have affection. You will have adoration. You will have longing. You will have a love for God that did not exist by your own will. John 3.16. Everybody say it with me. Just kidding. I know you can't. <laughs> for God so loved the world. He gave his own son. Who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Uh, 1 John 2.25, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. God's character is always who he is. He promises things out of that character. You will have eternal life if you believe in this. We put our weight in those promises. John 5, 
Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Whoever hears the words of God, believes them, he will pass from death to life. And finally, Acts 2.21. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there's these promises. Now, we believe the Bible on so many things. Like, if the Bible is trustworthy to tell us how to be saved, how much more can we rest in that we are saved? And so God promised, God's promises are sure and true. Assurance also rests on Christ's completed work. So if there's still things to be done for you to be saved, you should all be really careful. But if Jesus' work on the cross did everything that was needed, and it is complete, this is why on the cross, he's hanging there and he goes, it is finished. The altar is shut down. No more lamb sacrifices, no more bulls, no more blood running, because this blood has been shed by the perfect Son of God. And now I have taken that blood, and I have accepted that death. He has atoned for my life and brought me into freedom and newness. Do you believe that? Now, belief in the Bible is not just, I believe. Belief in the Bible starts in the heart, comes out of the mouth, and then is walked out by the body. This is how all beliefs happen. You believe that you're getting a little chubby. That started in your heart somewhere because someone said, another donut, eh, Earl? And then you were like, oh. So that went into your mind, which then came out of your mouth. I'm going to work out, which then went out to, I'm going to try to work out every day. You fail miserably, and now you have shame. That's how it works. That's how it works. True belief in Jesus starts in your heart, where the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to save you comes out, out of your heart to your mind and your mouth, and you go, I believe! And then the Bible says, if that belief is true, you will walk it out with your body and your mind and your heart and your actions and your love. You'll know because you'll be possessed, you'll be touched by, you'll be moved by the love of God. Jesus' work on the cross. John 6, 37. If you're in here and you're like, I said yes to Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I just want you to picture like you're just, you're just sitting in one of those big bean bags on this verse. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So you just fell into that big bean bag. That's Jesus that's just wrapping you up. I will never cast you out. I want more for you. I want to grow you up. I want you to walk with me. I want you to learn my ways. I want to use you in ways that you don't even think that you can be used right now. But I'm never casting you out. If you come to me, truthfully, in faith, with all of your heart and trust... Never casting you out. Those things have nothing to do with you. God is not back down character. God's house is Christ to work here. That needs to be plucked. None of you. I didn't even work there to say. Okay. But there are things that the Bible writers really? talk about. This is why uh, Martin Luther hated the book of that James. He hated it. He hated it because it talks about once we believe and the Holy Spirit takes residence and I am washed by the blood and I have new affections and new longings that my life will actually play out differently. I'll feed the poor. I'll love the widow. I'll go in the name of Jesus. I'll die deaths every day. And he hated it because he thought like it tough works. So there's nothing you can do to get into heaven. So you just accept what Jesus did. And it's not like, hey, all this stuff that I do after earns me any more grace or love. It's all this stuff is reactionary. All this stuff 
happens is a byproduct flows out of a life lived in intimacy with the Son of God. If you hang out with Jesus, one thing I can guarantee you, you will love people. And if you're like, I hang out with Jesus all the time, and I hate people. I have that bad news for you. You're not hanging out with Jesus. You might be hanging out with some of his words, but you're not getting them in your heart. You might be hanging out close enough to look spiritual or Christian, but you're not hanging out with Jesus if you hate people. Hanging out with Jesus, being with Jesus, makes you like Jesus. And Jesus prayed for the sick. Jesus loved Jesus went and poured out his life as a drink offering to the Father and said, your will be done, not mine. That's discipleship. That's the life of a disciple. So if you're wondering, well, what, what would those things be? These aren't my things. I looked these up, uh, and I didn't write down the reference. So if you're like, give me the reference. I'm just telling you, these are not my things or my points, but I would believe in them. So uh, the first three, do you believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus? And if you're in here and you're like, I don't believe what the Bible says about Jesus, then I would doubt if you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus. If you have a deep awareness of your sin against the word of God and the love of God, against God, you have sinned. You know that. <coughs> Do you live in conscious obedience to the word of God? So these are things disciples do. These are things that the followers of Jesus go, I don't love this book as a religious tome. I love this book because it's the living, dripping, beautiful word of the heart of God. And I read this because when I read it, I get Jesus. Do you live in obedience to the Lord? And not in dry road obedience, because obedience without relationships is religion. The next thing. Do you, do you despise the world and its ways? So, like, Jesus talks about hating the world, loving him. Like, this is the idea. Do you long for the return of Jesus and to be made like him? Like, the, the common theme in the early church was like, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. They always wanted Jesus to just rip open the heavens because they saw so much injustice. They saw so much pain. They saw people dying. They saw things, and they were like, Lord, come! Is that in you? That's that longing. I long to see him face to face. I long to see him face to face. I can't wait to see Jesus. Do you share the intimacies of the Christian life with other believers? Like I said, there's a thing that the Spirit of God does. He unifies. You're in this room with other people that belong to this Jesus, and what you find is when you do life alone and you hang out with Jesus, he's like, what about Bill? What about Bill? Go, go hang out with Bill. Oh, okay. It's like God wants to use you to build up his body. What? Yes. Do you share that life with other Christians? And the last thing, do you habitually do what is right more and sin less? I, I, I retyped this one because I need you to hear it right. This isn't I'm sinless and perfect. This is the choices that are before you. I choose the things <coughs> of God more than I run to sin. Because you have a new nature. You have a new nature. You have a new spirit. You, have a, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Now, we're retraining the way we think, we're retraining the way we walk, we're retraining the way we do, but do you find in your heart that when sin is presented, you're like, I don't want it, and even if sometimes you fall into it, do you get up and run to Jesus? Do you love Christians sacrificially and want to be with them? God loves his bride. That means God loves this church. 
God loves the church. You want to go big C on it. God loves his people. Do you love his people? Do you love his people? And when you look around this room, did you think this morning, what am I going to get out of this? Or did you think, how can I bless him? How can I serve her? Here, you go before me. Oh, I think you should have the last drop of creamer. Like that's it. Do you love Christians sacrificially? When one hurts, we all hurt. When one weeps, we weep. When one rejoices, we rejoice. Or do you go, I wish I had that. Like this is the heart that you need to look at. Do you discern the presence of the Holy Spirit within you? The word says that like the Spirit actually like heralds that we're sons and daughters of God. Do you, do you feel them? Do you know them? Those things, all in one big thing. So, but start at the beginning. God's character, God's promises, the work of Jesus, it's finished. And then these things being played out, I think you can start to grasp, hey, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that I have been saved. I know that I have been sealed. I know that I have miles to go in sanctification. But I will follow this Jesus to the end of the earth. I will sell all things. But now, let's continue our series on discipleship. 25 minutes in. Cool. If you say yes to all these things, I'm going to repeat what I said last week. If you said yes to most of those questions, like, my heart is Jesus's, I know there's room to grow, then I said last week, not being a disciple is not an option. It's not an option. You can't be a Christian, which is most of our labels for us. I'm a Christian. I'm an American Christian. Whatever you are, I don't even know if you're from America or anything. I'm a Christian. Well, are you a disciple? And a disciple is one that follows Jesus where Jesus calls. One that serves Jesus wherever Jesus shows. Worships Jesus wherever they are. Talks and breathes and lives with the kingdom of God as their kingdom, not the earthly kingdom. Are you a disciple? And in Luke 6.40, it says, A disciple is not above his teacher... But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So you are disciples. I, I dub you disciples. All right? A disciple is not above his teacher. Your teacher, till the day you die, will be Jesus by his Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Those three things are your teacher. When he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So a great question would be, let's do a 90s kickback. What would Jesus do? You remember that? That was fun. So maybe you don't remember that because you were all born in like 2000. So. <laughs> I know I wasn't. I think I know. Okay, cool. <laughs> so if we are being formed to be like Jesus, a great question would be, what did Jesus do? How did Jesus live? When Jesus called the twelve, what was he doing? And when he had the big throngs of people, what was he doing? And when he prayed for people, how did he pray? And when he walked and talked and taught and lived, what did he do? So if you're formed to be like Jesus, that's the goal. And so when we look at being a disciple and following Jesus, he invited men, a select number of men, to follow him, to teach them, to train them. And I think we can emulate that in discipleship. That there's times in your life, I don't think you should ever walk alone. I think you should always be in this moment of, what, 
it's been explained to me like reaching behind and reaching in front. This is really weird. I don't even know. One of these? I don't know. So you're always looking behind you and seeing if there's someone a couple steps behind you in the Christian walk. So maybe you've perfected the art of fasting. But the guy behind you, he hates it. You're like, hey, why don't you come? We'll do this together. Or maybe you've learned how to worship and seek the Lord by praying through Scripture, and you see this guy back there is just stumbling. He's like, I don't even know where I'm reading this. And you're like, come hang out with me. And at the same time, as you're reaching behind, you're reaching in front, and these people up here should be like, come, come with me. This is the picture of discipleship. We're never doing this alone. We're constantly looking out for those that are weaker, or about like a few steps behind, and we're constantly looking for people, hey, I need help, and if we're all doing this, not like, hey, I'm the only thing important, I'm going to get to the cross, but we're always considering others more, more deserving and more honorable than ourselves, then the church works. Because it would go from the oldest people in the room all the way down to the youngest people in this church. No one would ever be alone. Because everyone would always be asking, how can I help another believer or another person to get closer to this Jesus? Is that your question every day? Because I asked last week, hey, did discipleship scare you? And I think everybody was like, yeah, seriously. And as we... I mean, we look at this idea. This is this is the heart. Disciples make disciples. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are called to make disciples. You are called, and let's just forget the word disciples. We always forget. Disciples, followers, lovers, lovers of Jesus, always want other people to know that love. And so when they see people that are struggling in the knowledge of the Word of God, the knowledge of the love of God, the knowledge of the presence of God, I'm like, hey, I want to help you get there, and I'll walk with you until we do. So disciples making disciples. And and I think a telling point could be something I felt like I was going to do, but I feel like it's going to condemn half of you, but I'm going to do it anyway. So we're going to raise our hands here in a second, but I want to make something really clear. There's no shame or condemnation attached to this. In fact... Let's just do it. If you, if you call yourself a Christian, like you're like, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, would you raise your hand? Okay, cool. That's great. I'm going to have you put it back up. I just wanted to do this really quick. So I'm going to ask you another question, and, and if you, you're going to go, I'm a Christian, raise your hand. When I ask that question, I'm going to put it down if you haven't done it. Okay? This is where it's going to be at. Cool. All right? But there's no shame in this. This is just like God being like, okay, it's time to grow up a little bit. It's time to learn where we're weak so we can come strong. So if you're a Christian, put your hand back up. I'll give you, in the last year, if you have told somebody about this Jesus, shared the gospel, keep your hand up. But if you haven't, put your hand down. So everybody, put your hand back up if you're a Christian. Now, in the, let's give them another year again. In the last year, you have purposely gotten somebody and said, hey, we're going to run to Jesus together. I'm gonna, we're going to disciple you. I don't know what language you use. If, you, if you've done that, keep your hand up. If you haven't, keep your hand up. Okay, that works. All right, cool. So we have room to grow. I really thought it was going to be way worse than that, so I'm actually like, uh, I thought like two people would have their hand up and talk to them about Jesus. So as we look at discipleship, we we have, we have to start actually with the, the root of discipleship, which is being with Jesus. 
You can't lead someone to Jesus if you're not with them. <coughs> you can't lead deep unless you're deep. You can't be like, hey, there's deep water over there, I think. <laughs> you have to be in it. You have to be in the Word and in the Spirit and in the Lord and hanging out with Jesus to ever be able to look behind you and go, come near the water spot. And so before we give you a system or a process or a program to say, well, let's make disciples, we have to say, well, let's learn how to hang out with Jesus. The root of discipleship is John 15, 8. So if you have a lot, go to John 15, 8, and then put your little finger in Matthew 28. And i got to go fast. So let's go fast. Matthew, John 15, please go read it when you get home. The whole chapter. But 15, 8 says this. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. A couple of things in there. By this, so what is he referring to? My Father's glorified. God gets honor that, number one, you bear much fruit, and then prove. So there's proof that you're a disciple. If you do what? If you bear fruit, and you do by this. The by this of John 15 is abiding. John 15 is all about abide in me and I in you, my word in you and I in you. And if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you want to be a good disciple maker, guess what you need to be? Abide. Abide. The Christians that you admire, the Christians that you're like, I just can't want, I just want to be like that guy or that girl one day. You know what they learned early on? How to sit with Jesus. How to abide. How to do all things in the strength that God gives alone. How to walk by the Spirit. How to listen to the Word. How to crucify their flesh. And the only way all those things happen is sitting, resting, abiding. Learning how to be connected to the life and power of Jesus. That's what they want, guaranteed. Any old Christian that's had a successful ministry, go find it. Be like, tell me the key. Tell me the, 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 the thing that made your ministry successful. They'll say, I learned to sit with Jesus at four in the morning. And I learned to listen to his whisper. Keep in mind, and is I learned to love him even in the midst of the crowd. And I found that the crowd was not my reward, his presence. That is the mark of a disciple, a lover of Jesus. So if you are a lover of Jesus, you love to be with Jesus, I promise you, you can make disciples. You can make disciples. Abide in me, and I'm in you, and then you bear much fruit. <laughs> so I'll go a little, that was like the simplicity relational call. Uh, I'll give you a tool that's not my tool. It's actually the Navigator's tool. I think it's the Navigator's tool. It's off the internet. It must be real. Um, <laughs> this thing called the wheel diagram, it's the basics, and, and I'll actually post this with the message. But in the middle there, you see that it's union with Christ, and then the Lordship of Christ, and then that's where all this stuff starts spewing out. Discipleship doesn't actually happen until the outside of the wheel. The heart of the Christian life is not do, 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 do. The heart of the Christian life is it's already been done. Rest and abide with, hang out with Jesus. This idea of you are united with Christ means you and him are inseparable. It means his spirit has replaced you like yours. Like you now are united with the Son of God. What? Like that's 
just sit and marvel on that more instead of being like, well, I gotta get to the outside of the wheel, I gotta get some work done. No. The work is actually successful and eternal when we live it out of union with Jesus. So you start with, I'm united with Jesus, I can know Jesus, I hung out with Jesus this morning, and then the Lordship of Jesus, which is, he's the Lord, he's the ruler, he's the king, he's the one that gives the orders, and I know most of the time when we think Lordship, we're like, oh my liege. No, like, he's a good king, and his ways are infinitely better than ours. And as we hang out with him more, Lordship is not this heavy-handed, like, you better come my way. Lordship is... How can I please you today? Because I love watching your kingdom come. And it's easy, and it's light, and it's joy-filled. Go back to that, Kate. Um, then, out of union with Jesus and lordship with Jesus, you see, uh, you see evangelism come out of that, the word come out of that, prayer come out of that, fellowship come out of that. Those are these building blocks out of union with Jesus. So you don't start with... How do I pray, and how do I read the Word, and how do I do evangelism, and how do I have fellowship? You start with, am I united with Christ? Am I with Jesus? Do I know God? Then you add on these things, and they build the structure so that you can do the work of God that God has called you to do. But he's not looking for workers. He's looking for sons and daughters. So discipleship is a offshoot, is the outer rim of that wheel of a life built on union with Jesus, him being my Lord, me learning to talk to him in prayer, me learning how to read his word and apply it by the word word of God, by the spirit of God, to my life and my heart, me learning to live in fellowship with other believers, me learning to share the hope that I have been given. Then we do these things that God calls. Then and only then. And so in this wheel, we have these privileges. It calls these, these the privileges of an identity in Christ, the fruitful Christian life, which is what we all talk about. Like, I want to I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Start with the first things. Hang out with Jesus a lot. Learn his voice. Learn his word. Know what it feels like to be convicted by his spirit. Learn what it feels like to be nudged to open your mouth and share your faith. Learn his ways and his heart and his touch and his no. I learn to hang out with Jesus. Be married. That doesn't make sense. There's a story in the Bible. We always give Martha a hard time. But sit at Jesus' feet. Be a lover of Jesus. The more you hang out with Jesus, the more easy it is. I'm telling you, all of my prayer times in the last month, I'll be praying. I'm going to I love being with you. I'm sitting at this table with you. Thank you, God. He'll be like, text Dave. I'm what I'm trying to have you. Text Dave. I'm like, text him what? It's usually a verse go through my mind. I'm like, Dave, I, I'm, I'm trying to hang with Jesus, but I can't get you out of my mind, brother. Ew. You know, and then I'll text him. Like, this is what God does by his spirit in my heart when I'm applying his word in my life. I love other people. I can't get them out of my mind. I'm like, hey, come hang out with me. And, and so here's this idea of discipleship, and I want to make it easy in the last five minutes. I'm already going to go over. Um, <laughs> the Great Commission, Matthew 28. If you don't already have it memorized, go memorize it this week. That's your Sunday school kid homework. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So right off the bat, I think when we read the Great Commission, we try to like get ourselves out from under it. We try to disqualify ourselves. That was the apostles. That's not for me. I go therefore and make disciples. Is an, that is the great commission that is applied to every person that is calling Jesus Lord for the rest of eternity until the fact that we have his kingdom and we're looking at faith this. You are in this. You are called to this. Go and make disciples. And so two other disqualifiers once you realize that actually this scripture applies to your life. Number one, I hear it all the time. I'm not qualified. That was last week. I heard it from many of you. I, I'm, I can't. I'm not qualified to disciple somebody. I, I can't disciple anyone. So once again, can you sit at Jesus' feet? Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to read the word, hang out with Jesus, and be with the Lord in prayer? <coughs> you can disciple somebody. Is this all you do? Jesus, I love you. Oh, Bill. Bill, you want to come hang out with Jesus with me? You are now discipling someone. Because you're, you're modeling for them prayer. You're modeling for them sitting quietly before the Lord, Lord and waiting on them. You're modeling, I don't know what I'm doing, Bill. I don't know how to lead you. But the Word does, and the Word just said, hey, whenever your brother sins against you, and I, my brother, and I need to walk that out. And Bill gets to watch you live the Word. You're a disciple. See, there's no 18-point model. There are 18-point models. There's whole libraries of books written on discipleship. And I'm probably going to get told by somebody that knows discipleship better than me that I didn't say what I was supposed to say. Um, I think what we should say instead of I'm not qualified is I don't want to. Instead of I'm not qualified, I'm afraid to. Instead of I'm not qualified, I might mess up. I guarantee you. I guarantee you your disciple lead will ask you, where's that written in the Bible? And you'll be like, I don't know! And that's okay. That's okay. You're not actually expected to be perfect like Jesus. You're supposed to point at him all the time. So if you can do that, I guarantee you you're qualified. And then the second one, and I hear it all the time, I don't have time. I don't have time! And I really had to pull this back. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? If I analyze your day, you will have... You just don't want to. You prioritize something far less valuable, and you've said, you know what, it wouldn't be worth it if I died next week to give my life to one person and know Jesus. And I know you wouldn't say that, you're like, oh no, yeah. Your life screams it. My life screams it someday. So when I say, are you kidding me? Because I think we've blown this idea of like, well, it's got to be, so any parents in the room? You don't have to raise your hand. I know there's parents in the room. Your number one discipling assignment are I was gonna skip things that popped out, but that sounds really <laughs> So your number one discipling project, your number one discipling relationship is your kids. Teach them how to love God and know him. Don't teach them a bunch of do this, do this, don't do that. They know that stuff. Teach them how to know God. 
Teach them how to hear his voice. Teach them how to love his word. Model for them repentance. You have these little eyes and these little ears watching you love God or not, honor God or not, leave it out there. So take all that weight off that it's got to be 17 college girls come into your house every week. No, you have three, maybe four, maybe one kid at your house to disciple them well. Love them well. In this season, moms, disciple your kids well. In this season, men, disciple your kids well. Anybody have roommates? You now have intentional relationships already built in. They smash you in one. And even if they're not a Christian, you're like, hey, you want to talk about Jesus? No! Like, fine, I'll be back tomorrow. Because <laughs> you'll wake up next to them. But if you're in a room with other Christians, discipleship's really easy. You roll over, you open your eyes, hi. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's run to Jesus together. Let's share our lives together. Let's do this point of the end thing that, that Jeremiah talked about. There, if there's, I don't have time, is because you don't have intentionality. If you get intentional, I promise you, you have time. And here's how I'll make it really easy. When we look at go, therefore, that go is as you go, as you're going. When you're going about your life, that's actually what it should read. Anybody, anybody run? Anybody jog? Jog. Anybody a big jogger? Right? And you're like, yeah, I can physically jog, and I do it every morning. Bring somebody with you. You didn't add anything new. You're like, that's my sacred me time. I don't think that exists anymore. I don't think that exists anymore. Uh, early on when I was learning how to disciple guys, uh, I had a friend who was a discipleship pastor at Church of Dayton. And he says, what are you doing? And I said, well, guys come to me, and they're like, you want to get, you know, I want you to disciple me. And I, so I start, a, I start a whole other meeting, and I get together with him, and he's like, why? He's like, when guys come to me for discipleship, I say, I pray every morning at 5.30 in the morning, be there. What? He's like, I invite them into my normal rhythms. Because I love Jesus, because you're talking to me, Andrew. And I spend time with Jesus all the time. And so I invite these young men to hang out with me as I follow Jesus. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. This is all you do. Anyone pray in the mornings? Invite someone into it. Anyone read the Bible at night? Invite somebody into it. Anybody have a lunch hour? Everybody? Invite somebody into it. And you're like, what about me? What about you? You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. Start believing the Bible, walking in us. Be intentional. And so I know there's systems, and I know there's processes, and I know some of you are like, well, I don't know if I'm fully trained, I don't know if I can do this. I know you can, and I know I want to help you. And so if you have questions, and I know I have to end, because we're actually supposed to take communion, that takes 10 minutes, and it's already 118, or 10 minutes. Woo! I want to invite you into... I want to invite you to grab an elder. I want you to invite me to grab an older Christian or a younger Christian. So here's how we're going to land. We're going to land in communion uh, and me saying, hey, if you have to go, this you can go. Uh, but I think it's important to ask the question, have you found this king, this Jesus that is worth losing everything for? And if you're in here, you are a Christian. You are a disciple. We are going to celebrate communion. And I don't want you actually to take it until you think about the weight of what you're declaring. You're declaring, 
I'm selling everything so I can find you. I am actually becoming one with you. This is a demonstration of remembering what Jesus did on the cross. And the Bible makes it clear you can do it wrong and you can do it right. So a heart that would be right is a heart that doesn't stop and think, is there sin in my heart? A heart that does it wrong would be a heart that like has grievances against the brother or sister in Christ and says, forget them, I'm taking this so I can be close with God. That's not the heart. The heart of this is a heart check. Is your heart the Lord's? He broke his body. He poured out his blood. That's what the bread and the juice symbolize. And what you're doing, you're taking into your body, into your mouth, into, your, into who you are, a representation of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and saying, I belong to you. And so I'm going to pray a prayer. And when I say amen, you are free to leave. You are free to celebrate this. You're free to lay yourself before the Lord. You're free to come get prayer from our prayer counselors. Really, we're just we're going to respond how the Spirit of God is leading. But the prayer I'm going to pray is if you take this today, that God would interrupt your life so crazily this week. The last time I prayed this for a guy, I went there. ADD. That God would show up in your life. That God would show you directly who to grab. And then that you would be willing to say, yes, Lord. I'll lay down my rights, my privileges, my time, and I'll choose your time. Jesus, you are good. And I thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence today. Thank you for your word.